Amen. All right, well, as you're you're, uh, finding your seat now and as you uh, turn to to your word, take the Bible out. We're going to be in a couple of passages today that I want you to to go ahead and mark. First is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As we continue our study through 1 Corinthians, go there to chapter 14 and then hold your place right there. We'll spend some time there, but I also want you to turn over to Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts chapter 2. And so to mark those and we'll come back to those. So as we get beginning, as we start this, I want to, in way of introduction, I'll share a story with you and ask you this to start with. Have you ever been confused by language? Anybody ever been confused by language? Yeah. So, you know, here's what's funny is people think they can go to a foreign country and communicate with people when they don't really know the language that well. You know, we can't communicate with each other sometimes and we speak the same language, right? Trish and I struggle. Trish and I, we, tr- we struggle. She, she makes fun of the way I say things. And I'm, I, it's just a shame that she doesn't speak the King's English because she, she would know exactly what I was saying. You know, I don't butcher the language at all, do I? Uh, so Trish and I, she's over here and I'm over here. And here's the, the, here's, here's the English language and here's Trish and here's me. So we're on the other side. So she needs an interpreter sometimes, and I need an interpreter sometimes, right? So language, language can be confusing. It absolutely can. But there's a story. There was a new missionary recruit that went to Venezuela for the first time. And he was struggling with the language and didn't understand a whole lot of what was going on. So intending to visit one of the local churches, he got lost. He couldn't read the signs. He didn't know, but he got lost. And he eventually he found the church. And arriving late to the church, um, he found that the church was packed. And the only pew left was right up in the front, right on the front row. So he went up there and he sat down. So uh, not to make a fool of himself, he decided that he would pick someone out of the crowd to imitate. He said, I don't know what they're saying or what they're doing, but I watched them. That's what he, his idea is. So he chose the fellow uh, to, to follow the man sitting right next to him on the front pew. As they sang, the man clapped his hands, so the missionary recruit clapped too. When the man stood up to pray, the missionary recruit stood up too. When the man sat down, he sat down. When the man held the cup and bread for the Lord's Supper, he held the cup and bread. During the preaching, the recruit didn't understand a thing. He just sat there and tried to look just like that man on the front pew. Then he perceived that the preacher was giving announcements. People clapped, so he looked to see if the man was clapping. He was, so he, the recruit clapped too. Then the preacher said some words that he didn't understand, and he saw the man next to him stand up, so he stood up. Suddenly, a hush fell over the entire congregation. A few people gasped. He looked around and saw that nobody else was standing, so he sat down. After the service ended, the preacher stood at the door shaking the hands of those who were leaving. When the missionary recruit stretched out his hand to greet the the preacher, the preacher said, in English, I take it that you don't speak Spanish. The missionary recruit replied, no, I don't. Was it that obvious? He said, well, yes. Uh, said the preacher, I announced that the Acosta family has a newborn baby boy. And would the proud father please stand up? <laughs> Language is important. Language is important. And language can be very confusing. Okay, so as we, as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians, we, we go back to chapter 12, 13, 14. These three chapters, the focus of what Paul is talking about is spiritual gifts. But the, remember the tone of the whole letter is he's chastising the church. He's correcting issues they've had. It's been issue after issue after issue. 
And we came to the issue where there's the abuse of tongues that's going on in the church. And I, I would give the title today, so you have an idea of where we're going, is verbal abuse. That's the title for today, is verbal abuse. So we looked at chapter 12 and then 13 last week, recapping kind of what we have learned at this point in the last couple of chapters is this. At salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells me. At salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, the church. The Holy Spirit gives us a gift or gifts at salvation. They are of His choosing, not ours. Okay, The Holy Spirit decides that. The gifts we receive are to be used to edify, to build up the body of Christ. They are not for my own edification. I don't find anywhere in Scripture that a gift that God's given me is simply for my edification. It's important we understand this. So the gifts that we have are meant to be used in fellowship in the body of Christ. Amen? So then we come to chapter 13, and we learn about love, that love never fails. And Paul talked about the gifts that would fail. And he said, when that which is perfect has come, and that being the completed word of God, I'm convinced in my heart that that is what, that, that is what Paul is speaking of there, the completed word of God. When that which is perfect has come, when the completed canon of Scripture that happened there at the end of the first century, when that comes, Paul said, prophecies will fail. He said that, that knowledge would pass away. Those would come to an end. God would stop them. He said that tongues would cease. And we talked about the verbiage there. What that actually said is that tongues would, they would just come to a natural end. They would cease themselves. They would just come to an end. They would come to a day where they were not needed. But Paul stresses, you know, that, that these, these endure. Faith, hope, and love. You know, today, faith, hope, and love endure. But he says, the greatest of these is love. Faith, when we're in glory, we won't need faith. We won't need that anymore. And we won't need hope. We won't have to hope the Lord's coming back because he will have come back. So there won't be no faith and hope in heaven. We won't need those things, but love will endure. And that's, that's uh, love is going to last forever. So when we come to this point, prophecies, and, and not to this point in Scripture, kind of talking about where we're at today. So prophecies, knowledge, and tongues, along with other uh, of the sign gifts, have ended. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. And I'm thoroughly convinced that tongues, at least the first century spiritual gift of tongues, have ceased. Okay, There are, there are a lot that would disagree with that. There would be some that might even disagree with that within, within the Baptist beliefs or in the doctrines that we kind of hold to or the beliefs that we might have. Some would say, would, would, would maybe not hold that. But, if, but I would say this, if God, uh, I'd say this, if God chooses to give a language today, um, He can do that. Right? And if he chooses to give a language today, that doesn't mean that the gift of tongues is still in existence. Because the gift of tongues was a very unique, special gift given for a certain time, for a certain purpose, and, and, and used in a certain way. So I've heard many testimonies, and I read through doing more research this week, many testimonies of instances where someone received the gift of, I'm put in quotes, I'm not doubting it, the gift of tongues. But we want to, we're going to learn here in a minute what that means, what tongues is, okay? We're not talking about gibberish. We're talking about language. They were given the gift of a language. And there's documented situations of that. I, I told you I shared a story about a guy who heard it, and I went and researched it. A guy named Mark Rutland was in Mexico. Had had a translator the whole time. 
He's, got a, he's going out to a church out in a remote area. His translator can't come. He doesn't have anyone that can translate for him. He's burdened for this church. He begins to pray. He asks, Lord, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? You want the word to go forth. How, you know, these people are hungry for the word of God. What am I going to do? And his testimony is, and people who know him confirm this, is that that night he received the gift of Spanish. He only knew a few phrases in Spanish. That night he became fluent in Spanish. And he stood to speak and say, he, it, it, the story is he stood up to just greet them in the little limited Spanish that he had. And he began to say other things. And he was like, I don't understand this, but I actually know what to say. And he continued to say, and he ended up preaching in Spanish, in fluent Spanish. And the testimony is today he still speaks fluent Spanish. He never studied, never lived in the culture. He didn't know Spanish at all, but he received that. Now, that is the gift of language, right? But I don't believe that's the gift of tongues that we see in the first century church. If tongues had, ha, had not ended, if it has not ended, let me say this. Why do we not see it where it is needed in the mission field? And, and we do see some version of speaking in tongues where it is not needed in the local church. It, I, I, I'm, uh, this is as strong an argument as, as you can look at today is we do not see the gift of language in that sense being used. We don't, the, the ethnos, they ought to see a pour, outpouring at ethnos of the, the gift of tongue. You would have loved that, Miss Jeannie. Go over there and, be, and speak that language. God just give you the gift of the language so you could communicate with the people. But we don't see that. We don't see it where it is needed and yet we see in the local church where we all speak the same language. And if I need to share something from the Word of God, I can speak to you in a language that you clearly understand. Okay, so that's where we're going today. Now, here's a problem that we have. When we, when we start interpreting Scripture, and I'm, I'm sharing with you what, what kind of, one of the things I struggle with when we start looking at tongues. So we filter the Bible and things that happen in the Bible through our perception through our perspective today, uh, through our current understanding of the world or through what we've learned, heard, or experienced. When we, when we think of the gift of tongues, and I want you, I want you, you may not have a clue in the world what I'm talking about. Some of you have a good idea what I'm talking about. Think about that. What in your mind you have when you think of what's in the picture in your mind of the gift of tongues? You're going to go probably to an experience you've had in a church you may have visited or something someone else has told you or something that you've seen that is the gift of tongues as is being exercised today in some churches. Okay? You have that picture in mind? Here's what we tend to do. We take that picture and we lay it on top of the scriptures as we read Acts chapter 2. And, and we try to justify what we're seeing there based on what we're seeing today. Folks, the two have nothing to do with each other. Amen. They have nothing to do with each other. Okay, And, and I hope we'll, we're going to be, better understand this as we, as we go through this. Because this is exactly... Paul wasn't dealing with the exact same issue we're dealing with today. Understand, in Paul's day, tongues still existed. It was abuse of the gift. Today, we see an abuse of something that doesn't exist. It's an abuse of, uh, of what, there's some, some reasoning, we'll, we'll look at that. But the problem, the problem is that we put that image on Scripture and then we try to justify or, or try to make that work. It, 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 and we should not do that. See, here in chapter 14, Paul continues his, his extensive teaching on the subject of spiritual gifts with the emphasis on the misuse of the, of the gift of tongues. And so we have to understand what was going on in Corinth in the day of Corinth, not in 2023. 
We've got to understand what Paul was dealing with then, what was going on in the church, to properly understand what he's, he was telling them. And then there's even some, some things that we can learn from that would help us. So let's, let's look at this first. What is the gift of tongues, of the speaking in tongues? Well, it was a sign to the Jews. The, 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 the sign gifts, the, the tongues is one of the sign gifts. It was a sign gift, and it was for the Jews. It was always for the Jews. It was for their purpose, they, and, it, and it was for authentication, to show that this was a work of God. This wasn't something, um, and, and I'll say this, there was in that culture, in the culture of that day, the pagan culture of that day, and even if you go around the world today, you will find in just about every culture there is this, there is this unknown babbling, and different things that go on. Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this. How, Pastor, who was the Pastor Aaron? Who was the singer you were talking about? That. Oh, and she does what? Let's hear. Scat singing. Scat singing. Come on, he was scatting the other day. So you know, y'all know what that is, right? So it's not really. It's not ver. It's not a word. It's You know, it's that. It's something like that. Whatever. Um, I don't scat sing. He did, does it well. See, I was a poor imitation. Um. But it was, it was a sign, and it was a sign. But, but you have that in every culture. Uh, you even see it in, 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 in the cultures as they attack. You know, those kind of things. The Indians, the Indians attacking or whatever. There, there's these different things. But there are studies that have been done that in, in the, a lot of the things that are going on in America, it is, it is obvious as they study it. Number one, it's not a known language. Number two, it is something that is common to all of these cultures in something that we ourselves create and generate, okay? And uh, so first of all, the tongues of that day were assigned to the Jews. They were a sign gift. Uh, They were there to bridge the language gap. Remember at Pentecost, there were people there from, there were multitudes of people there from multiple uh, countries, Many, 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 many languages represented, okay? So it was, a, it was an incredible opportunity for the gospel, this new, this new message, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior, this good news. And it was, so it was a bridge to the language gap. Uh, it was there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it was there to build up the body of Christ. It was always a language. It was never gibberish. It was never an unknown uh, language. Now, when I say that, it, it, it may have been unknown to someone that heard it. It could have been unknown to them. But it was not a language that would not have been known. Let me say it that way. It was a language that existed. Somebody standing there may not have known what the language was. Uh, is anybody in here, if somebody started speaking in um, you know, some form of, I don't know, pigeon. You know, if they're speaking some form of pigeon or some, something from an African country, we, wouldn't, we would know, maybe that's, a, we might say, well, that's a language, but we wouldn't be able to identify necessarily what language it was, okay? So they would have said, that's a, that's a language, but someone would have, would have heard it in their language. It was never, here's another thing it was never, it was never a private prayer language. Never, okay? So, so as we look at this, let's talk about tongues defined. Now, it's not my definition, or it's not a Baptist definition. This is a Bible definition. So tongue in New Testament, New Testament uh, is translated from two different Greek words, and those two words are used interchangeably. Now, I had a question this morning. Gene and I, were, as we were on the way into church this morning, I had a thought. And I said, I do not. I, it makes me question, and I'm sure there's a simple reason, but I don't understand why the New Testament translators, when they put it in English, didn't choose language instead of tongues. 
But at that day, tongues may have been a more common use of the word to express language than language is for us today, right? So we understand, we understand the context. We talk about tongues. They speak a different tongue. That's a different language. We would understand that. They may have understood that more then than they would have been using the word language. But the word that's translated for these, this word tongue, it, there's two different words. First one is glossa. G-L-O-S-S-A. Any ideas of an English word that might come from that? Glossary. Glossary. And so the word means, it means, simply it means language. So when that word glossa is used, it means language. There's another word that's used in, in here, dialectos. Does that sound like anything? Dialects. Dialects. Right. So we know what a dialect is. Uh, that's what Trish and I struggle with. We speak the same language. We speak a different dialect of, of, of that. She speaks with a, with a slight Boston accent. I speak with a slight, slight Georgia drawl, just slight, ever so. If you really listen, you can hear it. Um, but it's a different dialect, right? So in both cases, though, these are, when, when these two words, they are intelligible and they are identifiable languages. Okay, so they're not, it's not unknown things. It's not something that doesn't exist in the world. They are intelligible and they are identifiable languages. So when we see those words, let's start with Revelation. You don't have to turn there if you want to write these down and you can check it out later. But in Revelation chapter 5, it says this. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And right there, that word tongue is language. And, and so the, the, the English translators could have put every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, 9, same, same word again, which, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Talking of languages. Revelation 10, 11, and he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. It's speaking of language there. In each and every case, that little word glossa is translated, translated tongues, and it is a clear reference to real and identifiable language. All right? Now, go to Acts chapter 2. You've, you've been marking there. Go to Acts chapter 2. A little bit we want to notice here. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. We'll begin with verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were gathered together. They were praying, the disciples. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. It's the same word there, the glossa word. It's, it's language. They all began to speak with other language. Okay, so that they, they, there may have been a hundred different languages represented there. It may have been 50 different languages. I don't know. They didn't record that. But they were, they, were, they were speaking in other languages. Now listen, here's something to note. The next words, it says, as the Spirit. Y'all see the word Spirit? Capital S or little s? What does that mean? The Holy Spirit. So this is given of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, capital S, gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout man, men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I'll clarify. I made a comment about it. It sounded like a gift of hearing. But when you think about it, there, there was every language Every language that they had heard, every language that was represented in the city, I believe this with all my heart. doesn't say it, but I believe this. If there were 75 languages 
in Jerusalem on that day, I believe God gave 75 languages in that upper room so that as they went out, they could, every person who was there who spoke a different language, who did not speak the local language and could not understand what might be said, could understand what was being said. They could hear the gospel in their own language. So are the tongues mentioned in 1 Corinthians different than those that we've looked at in Acts or in Revelation? The word is no. Because it's the same Greek word, glossa, it's the same word. So if someone uh, were to stand up today and begin to speak Swahili, how many of you would understand someone speaking Swahili? Anybody in here under, know Swahili? You know, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't know it. Nobody in here would know that. Um, so to you, here's the deal. To all of us in here, if they start saying that, it would be an unknown language. We, we wouldn't, but honestly, wouldn't we know it was Swahili? We'd hear it and we'd go, we wouldn't know what it was. Right. We might think it's just gibberish. So look at the context. And when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21, you can flip back there. We're going to come right back to Acts. But in verse 21, there's a, there's a reference here to an Old, Old Testament passage. And it says this, it is, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues, with other tongues and other lips, you will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. And there's a, there, there's a, a, a speak of prophecy right there about, about what's going to happen. This comes right from Isaiah 28, and it's referencing the Assyrian tongue, their language. Okay, it's talking about the Assyrian language. God was predicting that Israel would be taken captive and that they will hear men speak with another language and understand it, but it's a reference to an intelligible, identifiable, discernible, existing language. That's, that's what that is. That's tongues defined. Now, we want to look at tongues demonstrated. How is it being demonstrated? Continue there in Acts chapter 2. Go back to Acts chapter 2 now. Let's look at verse 6 again. We're going to look at verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because every, everyone heard them speak in his own language. We're going to highlight that word right there, those two words, own language. Verse 7 says, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? They knew the ones that were talking. They were, aren't they, all these people Galileans? Why, why are they speaking in our language? There's, these are Galileans. Galileans don't typically know all these other languages. They're not trained in that way. Aren't they Galileans? Verse 8, And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born. Now, the word that there is used, talking about their, their language there, their own language, that word for language there is that word uh, dialectos. Okay? So it's not the same word glossa that just simply means language. This is the word that means dialect. It, it's talking about, they're, like, they're saying, they're not just speaking, look, they're not just speaking my language. They're speaking the language of where I'm from, where I was born. They're speaking the dialect. Of that, so if it was if it was if it was us, it'd be. It, 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 I, I didn't do enough research here. I could have had some front fun with this, Trish. I should have done some research with you, but every but see, every man heard in their own language. Okay, so if it was Wisconsin, anybody here from Wisconsin? No, we got some Michigan folks. But if it was Wisconsin, when I was in Wisconsin, it was a little nasally, and and they would say they'd say something like this. They say, "Hey, you guys." Hey, you guys, get saved. Come go with us, eh? That would be kind of what they, they would say, eh? So they were speaking in their dialect. They were speaking in a way they would understand. Say, so get the car. They get the car, and we'll go far and, 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 and get saved, okay? Uh, in Georgia, they would say, like, y'all need to be born again. 
You know, that might be how we'd say it. North Carolina mountains, my pastor in Indiana, they were from the mountains of North Carolina. And one of the words I heard, uh, not from him, but from his wife was this. It was Ewans's. <laughs> Ewans's. So in North Carolina mountains, they would have said, Ewans's need Jesus. Okay. Maybe down in Mexico, they'd be saying, vamos a, a Jesus. Underlay. Underlay. Vamos a Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. So they, they not only heard it in their language, they heard it in their dialect. And that's an incredible miracle when you think about what God did right there at Pentecost. So next instance of tongues is in Acts chapter 10, and it's to the Gentiles. And, uh, and so the question then comes up, is it different here? Is what's going on different here than what we've seen here in Acts chapter 2 or the words that are used in other places? Now understand this, Peter in Acts 10 had just preached to Cornelius. He's the first Gentile ever to hear the word of God and respond by being saved. And so that was a big question in those days is can Gentiles get saved? That's a question because the Jews are wondering, well, can, you know, okay, so the gospels come, but but is it available to, to the Gentiles as well? So God had to give who? The Jews a sign of what? That this was authentic. This was of the Lord. So God gave the Jews a sign to prove that the Jews, to the Jews, that, they, they, that these Gentiles could indeed be saved. That's what this is about. So Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Who are those of the circumcision? The Jews. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but it's the same word. Are the tongues that are mentioned here different from those in Acts chapter 2? No. It's the same word and it's the same idea because they were identifiable, intelligible, discernible languages spoken by people on earth. Or, or, or you know, the, so was it that or was it an incoherent babbling or gibberish? Which, which was it? That would be the question you would ask. Well, let's let Peter answer that. Acts chapter 11, jump down to verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God uh, has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This was given as a sign to the Jews that the gospel had indeed come to the Gentiles as well. And that's how this was used. And it was language. It was not some incoherent babbling. It was an actual language. And so if you read through the book of Acts, you see the different instances of tongues being used and the way the Holy Spirit used it. It's actually a very, it's really a rare occurrence. It wasn't super common. You would expect to see it just all through the book, and you don't. You see certain instances, and it was always a sign gift, and it was always to, to authenticate, and it was always to share the gospel. It was always to build up the body of Christ. So in Acts, tongues were a supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language. That's what the gift of tongues was in the book of Acts. It was the supernatural ability 
to speak a foreign language. It's the same word as tongues in Revelation, same word as in 1 Corinthians 14. And if that gift of tongues from back then was the tongues that we were practiced today, we would rejoice and accept it gladly because it would be, it would be fulfilling a great, great need in the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. Uh, th think of the time and money that would be saved if missionaries didn't have to go to language school. You know, we support, uh, y'all remember last fall, we had uh, uh, Cammie Jalbert came. She's over in Thailand right now. She's spending a year in Thailand, and she's in language school. She's learning that language. And she, she's probably not going to be fluent in the language in a year's time, but she's going to be a long way down the road, and she'll come home, and she'll raise some more support, and then she'll go back and continue her learning the language there where she's going to serve and, and, and be led of where God wants her to serve in that place. But imagine if, if she didn't have to do that. Imagine if God just gave her the gift of tongues. If it was in, in practice today as it was then, I believe she would receive that. If that's what God wanted, she would have the gift of tongues and she could speak Thai fluently and wouldn't have to waste time on learning the language. She could be instantly, instantly ministering. What a blessing that would have been. Amen? What it would be today. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. He says, I give, uh, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Okay, so he spoke with tongues more than all of them. Now, I don't find it, I don't find Paul speaking in the churches in tongues. I don't find that recorded. I don't find we don't find a whole lot of writing in all of Paul's letters, other than right here where he's dealing with abuse of the gift of tongues. We don't find him writing about tongues in the church. We don't, we don't find that. Paul says though, he says I speak with tongues more than all of you. Paul, what I have to believe as I read this, interpret this, and understand this is that God had given Paul many languages. That, that he had never learned that he could speak. And when the need was there, he could share it. And imagine in Corinth, a city that, that they, they say perhaps there were 50 languages that were represented in that trade city where people were in and out of there all the time. And so at any given time, Paul could preach to any one of them, run up on somebody and they speak whatever language Paul could minister to them. He could share with them the gospel because God had given him that language. Okay? So that was an explanation. I, I'll tell you in I don't know, 15 minutes? That's an inadequate. But I hope it's a, a good overview and an understanding of what the gift of tongues was in that day. Okay? Now we want to look at the administration because as we come here to chapter 14, this is where Paul is going to deal with the problems that were going on in the church. The abuse of the gift of tongues within that local body. And, and, it, 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 and so we'll see that. He's going to lay out several things that will make the argument. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll get through all of this. Um, I'll say this. I don't question anyone's sincerity, okay, when it comes to tongues. I, 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 that's not my place to question someone's sincerity. Someone may be absolutely sincere that's in the tongues movement or whatever. Uh, I don't question people's experiences, I, I'm, I'm not going to say, well, you didn't, you didn't speak. In, I don't, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you this. I'll say it this way. Sincerity and experience are not the test of biblical truth. Just because I've had an experience doesn't make it biblically right. Now, I would give great caution to anyone who says, well, I'm seeking this gift. I would give great caution to that. Because it is a scary thing, and we're, we're gonna, I'll explain maybe more a little later in, in part of this. But it's a scary thing. I think it's a dangerous thing when we start inviting something we don't know to speak in and through us. 
It's a dangerous, dangerous place. I think that believers often open themselves up to demonic, demonic work. But there's our flesh does a whole lot of its own thing when it comes to this area of tongues. So it's not about uh, sincerity. It ain't about experiences. That's not the biblical test. It's possible to be sincere and to be absolutely wrong. Amen? Um, we must always line our experiences up beside the Word of God and see if there's a match. The entire first letter to the church of Corinth was written by Paul uh, to the church as a blistering rebuke for their problems. And so when we come here to chapter 14, Paul, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he lays down strict management rules for this gift within the church. And these rules are, are grossly uh, uh, disregarded by the modern church tongues movement. So even those who would say, you know, we believe it's biblical, we're still we're going to exercise it because we think this is right, they're abusing because they're not following even what God said, gave to them in the way of instruction through the Apostle Paul right here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14. So let's look. Let's look at, um, we'll get through maybe a couple of these points, but we'll, verses 1 through 5, the first thing we want to look at is this. Paul's talking about the importance of, with, with these gifts in the church and how they're being exercised, here's what he says. Verses 1 through 5, he's talking about the importance of edification. Edification. Verses 1 through 5, pursue love. Paul, again, he said love's going to endure forever. You want to pursue something, pursue love. Love will never fail. The gifts of, uh, of prophecy and tongues and knowledge, they're all going to end. When that which is perfect comes, those are going to end. But love will endure forever. It'll never fail. So pursue. You're looking for something to pursue. You want to honor God with your life. You want to serve him and do something great for God. Then you love. That's what Paul says. He says, pursue love. He said, and desire, I'll share with you all, the word gifts isn't in this. Okay, this has been added. Your Bible may have it in italics, which means the word is not there. There's not a word that indicates gifts. The word there for the spiritual, it really is more of an idea of spiritual manifestations or the spiritual, it's, it's a desire for spiritual things. That's the idea. I want, any of you guys, I want spiritual things. I want whatever God has for us as a church. I want that. What God has for me, I want that. I want to pursue that. And that's what he says, pursue that and desire spiritual. He desire the spiritual, but especially, he says, that you may prophesy. Now, for us, that, that idea, and it, it applies to us as well, this prophesy would be to be able to communicate the Word of God, to be able to communicate truth from the Scriptures. For he who speaks in a tongue... Now, you can get into this, you can get into a side note, but I, 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 I'm going to give you a, a little something that you could look at. All through chapter 14, there's two different words used. It's the same word, but it's translated different. Sometimes it's translated a tongue or tongue. Others, it's tongues. And there does seem to be, when Paul chooses, or when the word is chosen here, the singular of tongue, it does indicate that maybe there's an abuse here, uh, uh, that it's not necessarily a language. So that's something you could study out. But he says, For he who speaks in a, in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. What, is he, what do they speak when you speak when you prophesy, when you speak the word of God? What do you speak? Edification, building up. Exhortation, building up. Comfort, helping people where they are. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. 
He who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I wish you all spake with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul's whole, whole argument here with these first five verses is, look, what we do is should be to edify and build up the body of Christ. If we're going to do it in the church, there needs to be a purpose for it in the church, not just so you can feel good about your gift. Look, any one of our gifts that God has given, and we identify our gift, all of a sudden now, we make that gift the greatest gift, and I want to put it off, I want to, I want to showcase it. I have the gift of mercy, I'm going to, and I'm going to abuse that in the church. I've got to find a way to show my mercy and exercise it within the church so everybody can see me exercising this gift that I have, right? That's the idea. There's this abuse of the gifts that God had given. They were puffed up about them. They were misusing it in the church. You come in speaking in a tongue. He says, nobody understands you. you you're, just, you're just talking to God. He's the only one that understands what, even, even what idea might be there. Oh, God's the only one. So going back to verse 2, he says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to God, uh, to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he makes mysteries. Now I want you to notice this real, real quick. Um, the word spirit there, y'all see it in your Bible? There in verse 2? Capital S or small s? Okay, so this is not speaking of, of, of a language that's being spoken by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The, the word for spirit there is speaking of my own flesh. It's my own spirit. It's my own breath. It's my own thoughts. It's my own, it's my own being. Our spirit, okay? And that's the idea here. You know, from your own spirit, you're speaking these mysteries because nobody knows what it is you're saying. This is, this is one of the proof verses that's used by the tongues people to try to say that, that the gift of tongues today is a prayer language, is this verse right here. And when this verse is actually saying, uh, with, with much sarcasm, I believe, and we've seen that from Paul as he writes through this letter, often he uses sarcasm with the Corinthians to make a point. But I believe he's using some, some sarcasm here, and he's, and he's explained to them how futile it is to speak with tongues without an interpreter. So even if they're... Now remember, they're speaking, and I believe what they were doing was speaking another language. But what was happening was, you know, Cliff, I've got this gift. I want you to hear it. But nobody in church has a clue in the world what I'm saying, but I'm speaking, I'm speaking Swahili. God gave me the gift of Swahili, and I want you all to hear it. So blah, 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 I throw out all this Swahili, and I'm praising God in my head or whatever, and I'm speaking Swahili, and y'all are going, what is he talking about? What in the world? But it wasn't about building up the body or edifying the body. It was about the attention that I get because I'm using this gift. I'm going to show you how spiritual I am because God gave me the gift of tongues. I can speak this other language now. That's what was, there was an abuse there. Paul says, look, if you're not building up the body, this is futile. What are you doing? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister it to one another. The gifts that you have are not for your self-edification. They're for the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We were there a few weeks ago. Verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit, that's a big S, the manifestation of the Spirit working, it is given to each one for the profit of... All. 
Doesn't say it's given for the profit of you. It's for the body. It's for the body of Christ. It's for everybody. So if a spiritual gift is not used to profit the whole body, I don't believe it's of God. You're just talking to yourself. Self-edification. Or you're just talking to God and God doesn't need edification. God doesn't need that. So this completely shoots in the foot the idea of a prayer language and it's something that's never mentioned in Scripture. Nowhere is there a prayer language mentioned. It's, it's like purgatory. It's not there. It's not in the Scriptures. Now, there's two types of Bible study. All right, this will help you too. So you, you, you hear the word, how many of you know the word exegete or exegesis? You know that word. Okay, so when you exegete and, and you use this process of what we would call exegesis, what you're doing is you read the scriptures and you explain the scriptures, you know, by what is there, uh, the context. So it's, it's who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What was the, what's the culturally, so, you know, what is, when they're talking about this, what was culturally going on at that time? So you have to understand those things so that you can properly interpret what was going on then, right? And then you can apply it to us because remember, the scriptures then, they can never mean for us what they didn't mean to them. Okay? If it didn't mean that for them, it doesn't mean it for us today. We don't, it didn't just take on different meaning. So we have to, when we do exegesis, we're really letting the scriptures teach. It's scripture versus scripture. Scripture backing up scripture. So it's, we let the scriptures teach what the scriptures mean. Now there's a thing called eisegesis. And eisegesis is when you start with a preconceived notion and, and then you look for proof in the scripture. Okay, so you, have a, you say, well, I believe this. And you, you go and you find verses that you can, you can use out of context is, is always what happens. It's a verse taken out of context to build the case for what you're trying to prove. And that's not the way we should study Scripture. And going back to verse 2 again, it was, it was it, 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 this prayer language. It says a tongue that they do not speak to God, but to a man, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. It's not the Spirit of God speaking there. So this is not a prayer language, and yet that's a verse they would use. Another example is Romans 8.26. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever, you've heard that verse. You've read that verse, right? They would focus on this. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. This is what I would focus on. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Who is doing the making the intercession? The Holy Spirit. Who's doing the groaning here? The Holy Spirit. He is, he is with groanings which cannot be uttered. It is the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in that verse does it talk about me uttering words I don't know or groanings I don't know. It's not talking about me. It's talking about the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That word groanings doesn't mean babble. It means, it really literally means sigh. It's sighs. It's, it's not even words. And yet they would use this to say, there it is. That's a prayer language right there. That's what God is doing. Cannot be uttered. This is the Holy Spirit speaking, not us. It's His interceding, His intercession for us, not us and our, our things. Another would be 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. If, if you weren't looking for a prayer language, you'd never get that out of that verse. 
And yet they'll use that to say the prayer, the, 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 the tongues of men, the tongues of men and angels. See, that angels there, that's a prayer language. That's what that is. You wouldn't get that. And that's not the context of the passage. So you'd never get that unless you were looking for that and trying to pull that in. Again, Paul's exaggerating to make his point clear. Look again at verse 2 and 3. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Well, if he's not speaking to men, he's not edifying the body of Christ. Amen? Not, no one, no, you're not speaking to them. If I'm up here, I, I was looking for Burton this morning. And Burton, I don't know how many of you know Burton, but Burton's from uh, Togo, Togo, West Africa. And I was hoping he was here. I don't know if he even, he speaks English, so I don't know if he speaks another language. He does speak French. Some of you, anybody know French? Oh, it would have worked, man. I, I wanted to bring him up because I was going to get him come up here and just say something for, in, in, in another language if he had it and then walk off. And y'all be going... What, what was that about? Okay. So he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men because if, if no one understands it, it's not being received, right? Uh, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Uh, by, the, uh, by the way, again, anytime the angels spoke in Scripture, it was intelligible, discernible, and identifiable as a language. It was, never, it was never a gibberish. So they are, they are not for self-edification, but for the profit of the body. In the, verse 5 says that the church may receive edification. So Paul's making the point right here, first thing, is that tongues, any of the gifts that God has given, they're for the edification of the church. And if it's being used in a way that it is not edifying to the church, then it shouldn't be used. Okay, second thing here, verses 6 through 12, he says there should be meaning there should be meaning. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, if I come to you speaking with tongues, speaking with another language, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a, distinctive, uh, a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not, if I do not know the meaning of the language... I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual manifestation, spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. There needs to be meaning. Paul here in this section, he reveals the inherent weakness of the gift of tongues. Uh, he does so by comparing tongues to other ways of communicating. There's There's... Revelation, there's knowledge, there's prophecy, there's teaching. All of these things are communicating with intelligible language truths from God's Word, truths from the Lord Himself. And so it is the common denominator of, of these things is intelligibility. We can understand what is being said. So what Paul is saying here with meaning is a couple of things. First is this, language is useless unless it has meaning. Amen? And, you know, they're creating, they're still creating languages. Uh, I think uh, Star Trek, 
Star Wars, I don't know. There's some, there's some places they actually have created languages. And certain people that are learning these languages that are created that is Star, it's Star Wars or Star Trek language. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe you are too far into the sci-fi if that's the thing. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's okay. But if, it, if I hear that, if I hear that, I don't know what that means. I'm looking for subtitles. You know, if I, I don't know that language. Give me some subtitles. I need to know because if I don't know what's there, it's useless. So it's useless unless it has meaning. Um, I'm able to make sounds and noises, but they will mean nothing to you unless you can attach thoughts and ideas to them. They are ineffective and pointless. And Paul uses an analogy here of musical instruments to demonstrate this point. He says, you know, you can play notes all over the place, but unless there's something for you to recognize or appreciate, it, it will not mean anything to you. Now, another way of communicating, I could have Jim come up here, and Jim could play, and I could have told him, I want you to pray, play Amazing Grace, and he'd, he'd pound that out, and in just a few notes, y'all would, it'd be like, you know, name that tune. I can name that tune in two notes. Bing, bing. Oh, that's an amazing grace. You would know it, right? Because it, it, it's, it's known. We know what that and that. It begins to say it's a language. It's speaking. I can get on that. <laughs> it will not convey any type of language. It will not be edifying. I may think it sounds wonderful. <laughs> See me play. Isn't that what our kids do? Kids want to play. They bang on it. Jordan used to bang on her little piano and sing. Woo. It, was, it was not edifying. It was cute and fun to watch, but it was not edifying. I, you know, it, it, there has to be meaning to it. Uh, if the trumpeter does not utter clear notes in battle, the soldiers won't know what to do. They would have, you know, they would, the horns, trumpets, even, even well, not, not so much today, but, but there was a time even in, like in the West or when battles were being fought here in the Civil War days or different things. Horns had a lot to do with that. You'd blow a certain note or certain melody or something and it would it would be a charge. We know charge, right? Here comes the cavalry, right? You know they're charging. Um, but but what if the, the guy didn't he's supposed to be charging and he, he's blowing and he doesn't really know well and he's not and he's not communicating that. Now the soldiers they don't know what to do because they don't there's no meaning to what they're hearing. Okay? They and, and they may be blowing retreat and they're not hearing retreat. Because he messed up the notes. Now they're, they're fighting. They're being told to pull. So it can be very, very dangerous as well when there's understanding is not there. And so it is with tongues. If the gift of tongues is exercised during worship and no one understands, it is just like speaking into the air. That's what Paul said for them. There is no meaning. And, and it is meaning that makes language useful. Language is very useful to someone else. But if I don't know the meaning, it's not useful to me uh, or to you. Tongues alone has no profit for the, ga the, the gathering. Language is intended to break down barriers, not create barriers. Amen? That's what the language is for. It's so, I mean, when, when God confused the languages, what was it to do? It was not to pull them together. It was to divide them. And so now when he brings back, he's bringing us back together through language. So it should break down barriers, not create them. But in Corinth, some were more interested interested in impressing than they were in communicating. That's what they were concerned with. Now, I'm going to try to read this. Y'all see if you can understand this, okay? I had to practice this, so. In the ascertainment of excogitation, 
of linguistic proclivity, one might ascribe to the mentation that a fratry exists in which some encyclopedist designedly cultivate a nonplussed ambience hypothecated to befuddle the vox populi. <laughs> now that's English. Now how many of you just know what I just said? Anybody? You know, we got the, we got the, the doctor here. Uh, tell me, translate. You're right on it. it what, what I just said was, judging from the words some people use, you'd think they, they purposely wrote to confuse the average person. It's, it's complicated. So you, it's confiscation, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take something simple and I'm going to make it really, really hard because I want you to, I want you to, I want, I want to confuse you or I want you, I, you know, um, I've told, I, somebody came out a couple weeks ago and they said, wow, you, you made that so easy to understand. That's the greatest compliment I can ever get. If somebody tells me, man, I like to hear you preach because it's simple. Nobody's ever said, I love to hear you preach because, man, you are just, your vocabulary is off the scales. It's amazing. Your, your grasp of the English language is just phenomenal. I don't hear that, and I don't want to hear that. I, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, it's not that I want to speak ignorant English. It's just what I was raised with for 54 years. It's what I've spoke. So, um, but I want to be simple. I want you to be able to understand. I want to make it clear. That's what, that's what this is all about. Paul's telling them. And so the second thing is this in wrapping up. Pastor Aaron, you guys can go, go ahead and make your way forward. When language is understood, it benefits the whole church. That's the purpose. There's, there's, listen, there is no benefit. If we all speak English, there is absolutely no benefit to someone coming in here and even speaking a foreign language if there's no interpretation of what's being said. There's zero benefit in that. Zero. So even if that is a gift of God given, if we don't know what is being said, it's useless. Now, I'm going to purposely do this. We have, we have a pastor that's going to come. He's from Romania. and It's going to be here for Monday night of our mission conference. And I'm going to have him speak in Romanian. I'm going to have him speak a little bit in Romanian because I want you all to hear how useless it is. If he just came and preached his whole message in Romanian, there's nobody here that can translate that. So if he doesn't have the translation, it would be useless. It could be the greatest message ever preached. And for us, it would be absolutely useless. And this is the things that Paul's talking about. Look, when it, the language is understood, it is a benefit to the church. It builds up the church. It grows the church. It edifies the church. This use of tongues that they were doing was, it was absolutely out of place. And it created confusion. And we'll get into more of that. We'll, we'll pick up there in verse 13 uh, next week and finish out chapter 14. Um, but we'll stop right there because y'all have had enough today. And you can understand it and you've had enough today. All right. If you would stand with me. Stand with me. Just simple. Here, here, here's, here's my challenge. Here, here's the challenge I'm going to give you. All right, there have been times in my whole life in church where you, you come into church and you hear the conversations that are going on around the church. And they're everything but edifying to the body of Christ. We, we talk about the football games yesterday, the basketball games from yesterday. We talk about our problems at work. We talk about politics 
You know, a few years ago, there was a group of guys hanging out out front, man, and they were loud because they were hot talking politics. And I thought, if somebody across the street that doesn't go to church, they wouldn't, they wouldn't gather. Wow, man. You know what we ought to be talking about here? Jesus. You know what would be great is that we're having conversations you know, around the table over there. And I, I, don't, I don't sit at a table over there, so I'm sure that those are, those are edifying conversations that are about the Lord. That's what our conversations ought to be. When we get together as the body of Christ, we should be, we should be building each other up. Edifying. Amen? Amen? So look, when we talk about language, ain't nobody here speaking tongues? Maybe Trish. Maybe Trish. It's an unknown tongue. It's unknown to me. We're not, nobody's speaking in tongues. We can understand each other. But you know what? If, if, if I'm having a conversation about the national champion, two-time national champion, George, nobody else cares. Y'all don't care. Y'all don't want to hear that stuff. How about we talk about the goodness of God and what he's done in our life? Amen. Somebody said, well, you haven't talked about it. You're right, I haven't talked about it. Because it, I, I don't care. I really, I really don't care. I don't care about football games. It's fun to watch in the moment. I do not, I do not care. We ought to be talking about the Lord. And then if somebody walks in and there's a conversation going on, and we're not over here griping about politics, and they come in and we go, oh, well, I wonder where they stand. We, we probably shouldn't include them in this. They may not like what we're saying. But if we're talking about the Lord, we can say, hey, Dave, Dave, come over here. Man, we were just talking about the goodness of God. Amen? So when we talk about language and clarity coming together, man, we ought to be lifting up the Lord, exhorting each other in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Today, maybe, maybe you don't know the Lord as your Savior. If you're here with us this morning, I, 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 my prayer is every person under the sound of my voice this morning knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you have been born again. But if you haven't, if this morning you, you would just say, Pastor Conrad, I don't know for certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Then, then, then I would plead with you, step out. Come down here and let me take the scriptures and just walk you through the, the gospel message this morning. Let me introduce you to the Lord Jesus this morning. If God's working on your heart, don't leave here. But this altar's open. And, and these are not steps. Right now, they're, they're altars. Okay? This altars. Maybe you've got something that's heavy on your heart. Maybe there's somebody in your family you need to pray for. Maybe there's a lost person in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood or somebody you work with, somebody that needs the Lord. Maybe you want to come lift them up. Bring them down. Put it on the altar. Give it to the Lord. Whatever your need may be, I encourage you, if, if God's working in your heart today, then respond to it now, not later. Don't put it off because you won't deal with it later. Okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, we thank you for Paul. Thank you for his, uh, his ministry that you, that you saved him and put him into. And God, how you used him in such incredible ways that today we read words that Paul penned that came straight from the heart of God. And how they help us, even today. We've, even today we've been encouraged to, 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 Lord, while we're not speaking in tongues, we understand again how important it is that we speak clearly and simply the truth of the Word of God, that we want people to hear without, without distraction or problem um, uh, through, through vocabulary or through language 
that would hinder them from hearing truth. We want to communicate that truth. So thank you again for your word. And this morning, Lord, as, as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, I don't know what's on the hearts of our folks, uh, but, but Lord, you do. And I know that you're working uh, on each and every one of us. We may or may not be paying attention. We may or may not be submitted to you, but I know, God, you're working. So I pray you'll continue to work. And Lord, whatever it is you're doing in our hearts this morning, may we be obedient to respond to it as we go into this invitation time now. So bless now in this time in Jesus' name.